Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. <laughs> That's right. That's good enough. <laughs> oh boy. Let's dive in. Introducing this week's guest, Felicia. Felicia is a wife and mom, but in her childhood years, she went through the trauma of sexual abuse. She could have stayed silent, but instead she rose up, shared her story in the hopes of helping other victims. She is the founder of HERE, a movement dedicated to stopping sexual abuse. And I'm so excited to have her on the show. Felicia, here we go. Hi, thank you so much. I love that introduction. The one thing that sticks out in my mind right now, and it's the name of your show, is here. I want to be here with you, present with you. I want to talk about all that we're going through. I want to talk about that you got that tattooed on your body. All right, let's start there. When I was young, when I was 11 years old, I was raped and molested over the course of a year by the husband of the woman who used to babysit me. There was many reasons I didn't tell anybody. His manipulation, his daughter telling me, please don't tell anybody or you'll destroy my family. I just carried that story throughout my life. That is why I'm a big advocate and believer of releasing that story that you're holding on to because it's eating you up inside and causing you shame. So from that, a lot of depression, self-harm, anxiety, leading me up to when I got this tattoo. I'm 43 now. I still struggle with those things like depression. It's much easier to handle now, but let's say maybe I get frustrated and I yell. It's almost like an internal trigger. I feel guilty. Then I start that negative talk in my head. But the thing is, is now I could go, no, that's not true. I watched a movie called The Tale. It was her story of child sexual abuse. I watched that alone and it just triggered me so intensely. You don't know what's going to trigger those emotions. I became very depressed and anxiety. And, and so what I would do during those times is say, you are here, right here, right now, you are fine. I say it over and over and over and over again. And I had been doing that so that it would calm me down, bring me to the present. Right now, everything is okay. That is why literally the next day I was hanging out with my friend and I'm like, will you drive me to Sunset Boulevard? I have a tattoo I want to get. I have an 11-year-old. Talk to me about what it was like at that age. As an 11-year-old, it was incredibly hard. And the pieces that made it hard wasn't just the abuse. You don't even really understand what's happening. You're a child, you know, that it's painful or that it's not right. It's just very confusing as a child. And then you'll have the perpetrator and he's saying, your parents will hate you if they know that you are allowing me to do this. I had a really rocky relationship when I was younger with my stepdad and my child mind thought he already knows and that's why he hates me. So I don't want my mom to know because I don't want her to hate me. His older daughter said, I know it's happening to you. It happened to me. You can't say anything or you will ruin my family. There's all of this manipulation and it's confusing and you're just a child. I would draw little stick figures like they were being abused. And then I would put them in the garage where I thought my parents might find them. I didn't want to tell them because I was scared. I knew I needed help. And I remember going into the garage and they were not there anymore. I immediately started to turn that inward. 
bursts. I would have these huge angry bursts. And I remember I had this little music box. I took the music box and I smashed it on the ground and it broke. And I was devastated because I loved it. That is when I started hurting myself. I mean, I would cut myself. I'd hit myself. I hated myself. My mom, she had her friends. She also worked. Both my parents worked. I remember I started to have horrible nightmares. There was a lot of anger towards my parents. I know I didn't say anything, but why didn't anybody see that I was so incredibly tormented? Why didn't they see? My dad, him and I did not get along at all, and he worked a lot. But back then, he was gone traveling. And then my mom, she worked as a waitress, so she worked a lot. And then she also spent a lot of time with her friends. So I remember just being alone. When did your mom notice? I got upset because I wanted my friend to spend the night and my mom said no. And I was so angry. I scratched up my legs and she was like, you know, what's wrong with you? If you do that, I'm going to send you to a mental institution. So that's when I started to do things quietly. And that was all the way from when I was 11 until I was in my 20s. Where did you think to do self-harm? It wasn't anything that I saw or learned. I was so filled with anger and pain and I needed to get it out, I didn't want to break things anymore. So I turned it in on myself. When I was younger, disconnected from my body as though it was not mine. My body was this thing and I did not like it. I did not like the attention it got. I think that's what inspires me so much through my entire life of wanting to be able to use my story to help others is because I always felt like if at one point there when I was young, there would have been someone to say, hey, no, no, that's on him. Your body is perfect. No matter what happened to your body, there's nothing wrong with your body. You're not damaged. He didn't ruin my life. I have the power to make my life better and to heal. I was like 30 and had my two daughters that inspired me to heal. How were you even able to date? It was really hard, actually. When I was a teenager, I did have sex with different guys. I had the mentality, if they wanted it, who am I to say no? Well, I was using a lot of over-the-counter prescription drugs and alcohol to numb myself. It was almost another form of self-harm. I got into a relationship with this one guy, my first boyfriend, and he was fine. And he was like this eccentric artist guy. But when I had told him what happened, he was the first person I told. He was like, why don't you get over it? Why am I not over it? Like, am I insane? Like, I should be over this. And then my next boyfriend, he actually, he used it against me. He raped me. So I got out of that relationship. Then when I started to move into more healthy relationships. Yeah, talk about the turning point. Yes, (laughs) talk about the turning point. Uh, My first husband, he was the total opposite. He was like, a Disney prince, like so kind and so sweet and so loving. I felt like it wasn't right in the sense that we weren't meant to get married. Like I didn't have those deep feelings, even though I cared about him. And my mom, on the other hand, would be like, are you insane? He treats you so good. So then I'm like, what is wrong with me? That is a horrible thing for a mom (laughs) to say. Long story short, we got married. We had two kids. We fought all the time. I was going through so much still. How did you date with children? Relationships are hard enough without that. So that was a little easier in the sense that because I was divorced, we split the week 50-50. If I was dating someone, I saw them when I did not have my kids. Do you still think about what happened? Oh, it's every day. It manifests in some way every day. And it might not be very severe, but it could be I, I watch something 
And then I immediately feel sad or depressed. Like, for example, I don't watch or listen to the news at all. Anything I heard about a child, it brought me into a dark place. How can that not affect your intimacy? Before my husband, every sexual interaction I had, I was intoxicated to this day, to be honest. If I'm going to have sex, my body immediately reacts as though it will be painful. And I have to physically, consciously relax my body. So I could be totally like game. I'm ready. Maybe I'm dressed up as a French maid, like I'm ready to go. Right? Right. But then right before like it's going to happen, my body tenses expecting pain to this day. Now I absolutely adore my husband. I found the right person. We don't even need to talk and he could sense that we need to slow, I need to relax, and then we can continue. It was so confusing for him. Like he would say, okay, this time I touched you this way. You loved it, it was great. Now the next time I do that, he goes, I feel like, like a perpetrator. Like he feels bad about himself, like, like he's doing something bad. He didn't understand. And so honestly, for anybody listening that has that type of a situation, the best thing was telling him, telling him I didn't want to. Because being 43 or even in my 30s and still having reactions like that, it then becomes like really irritating and frustrating. I would love to know, do you feel like you're able to feel love and able to enjoy it? Yes, yes. We have such an amazing sex life and sexual relationship. Oh, I can say this. This is the first time in my entire life I feel safe with someone. So I told him this a little bit ago. Feels amazing. That gave me chills. When you feel safe, when you're raising children, what does that do for them? When my biggest girls were younger, I was really struggling with depression. So then when they were with their dad, often I was alone staring at six bottles of pills, willing myself not to take them thinking back now, but I was just so filled with all of this stuff, right? They went through that journey with me and then I would feel a lot of guilt. So that's the thing. You'd yell, you'd see the look on their face. Now I'm guilty. I'm not a good mother. They'd be better off without me. And then the spiral just happens. When I talk about it today, I could still cry because the guilt. I've told my girls, I'm, I'm sorry for anything. They don't even like really remember meeting my husband now. It was the first time my daughter said to me, you and Steve are so cute. It's so good to see you so in love. That meant everything to me because that's what I want for them. I want them to see me being loved and loving. How did you get all of that anger out and turn that into love? Oh, it was a lot of work. <laughs> like it's, a, it's a lot of work. Buddhist philosophies, the mindfulness and the rewiring of your mind. That was the biggest impact. It went from being a minute by minute thing to daily to one day of constantly practicing of just recognizing when those feelings are coming, feeling them, but not attaching to them. Also not focusing on the results because what will happen is you might have an amazing, oh, I worked through that moment and I didn't yell. And then the next hour you do, oh, I'm failing. And then there goes that negative self-talk the successes as they're coming and not the end result. Because then what happens, and I promise you it does, is one day something happens and you do not respond to it in the way you would have. And you go, oh my gosh, look at this. As I'm starting to feel that agitation, I'll go, you have a choice, you have a choice, you have a choice. And my daughter will look at me and go, 
what are you saying? But what I'm telling myself is I can choose right now how I respond. I can yell, which I'll probably feel guilty about, or I can just breathe and I can work through it. Do either of your kids struggle with what you struggled with? Do you see yourself in either of them? I do see that. My oldest one is very chill. My middle one actually opened my eyes to a lot because she has some depression. She tends to be more introverted and quiet and will feel sad and she doesn't understand why. And I had always thought I felt depression because of what happened to me, which I'm sure what happened to me exasperated it, but maybe not. Maybe there's something else there or maybe it was me. My littlest one, she's six, and I would yell, and so she yells, and she gets <laughs> angry. What happened to the perpetrator? I don't know. I never said anything. And then when I was 13, well, I was at a point where I wanted to tell, and we were watching this show called My First Name is Steven. It was this TV documentary about this little boy who had, was kidnapped and uh, sexually abused, and, and then he was found. My mom said, if anything like that ever happened to you, I'd feel like the worst mother in the world. So I didn't tell her until I was 16, I would say. I was pretty much, I would go to school and then I would come home, take, you know, over the counter, like allergy medicine or whatever and, and go to sleep. I was cutting myself and drinking. I don't remember what happened, but we got in a fight and I kicked a hole in the wall. She was so mad at me. What is wrong with you? I told her. She had reached out to someone in my family who was like a detective, who was a cop, and they said it's because of the statute of limitation. There wasn't anything that I could do. Um, I don't even know if I would have been ready. That was the first time I'd ever verbalized what happened. She what has did she her, say? That was a hard thing because she was, why didn't you tell me? How was I supposed to know? She got really sad. I just remember her crying in her room and my dad, he wasn't mad, but I remember being kind of upset with me for upsetting her. So I never talked to my mom about it again. I had seen a counselor at one point and he had said, you have to either tell your mom how you feel, like how her response affected you. Just tell her everything, not expecting her to respond anyway, and you be okay with that, or you have to accept she is who she is and be okay with that. As I got older, I remember there were like chat rooms. Is there anybody out there who had been sexually abused by, and I would put his name, because if anybody came forward, I thought maybe we could go forward together. No one ever did. I mean, I don't even know how those old chat rooms work. Did but. you like want to write his name on bathroom freaking walls with his phone freaking number? <laughs> I honestly was pretty obsessed with trying to bust him in some way. You drew pictures, you went in chat rooms. Yeah. Yearly I would. Um, I want to track him down. Can we? <laughs> I think I know actually. I would have this at least once a year where I would check in. I would check to see if there was an obituary for him. Wow. Or if somebody else had come forward or if he was in yeah. jail or so that, um, cause I would be willing to yeah. speak, be a witness or, you know, someone that could share their Testify. story. I'm still connected and friends with his niece who was my best friend at the time. I don't Did know she what know? it is. So when I got this tattoo, when I was having that, that moment of very deep despair after watching that show, I reached out to her and I told her. And she was oh my 
so loving. She was like, I am so sorry. I cannot believe it. I asked if he had ever done anything to her and she had said no. He had once touched her inappropriately and then she just stayed away from him. She doesn't have her kids around him. For her, she was like, some of his children are having issues and so then it clicked for her. I don't know what it was with the universe or what, but when I was in middle school and I lived in a completely different part of the state, it was my first year. That's right. My first year of middle school. I ran into his son. I was like, oh my God, are you? And I said his name and he goes, yeah. And he goes, oh my God. Then they moved. Fast forward to I am a 30 year old woman. I'm dating this man and he is having a Halloween party at his house in Long Beach. Okay. So now we're in another totally different part of the state. And it's yeah. years later. I am at the Halloween party. I go out into the living room and he is there. He's there. You recognized him right away? Right away. What Do you think energy? he recognized you? I don't know. I saw him. I think he saw me. I went, I got my bag and I left. It was insane. I don't know. I just think that's very weird. I found him on Facebook and just seeing his face that I hadn't seen in so many years, I wasn't good. And now I'm much better. How did it happen? I am 100% certain his wife must have known because she kept the kids out of the room. She watched me because my parents worked. When he would get home, he would like tell his son to leave the room and she would keep all the kids from going to the back room. Once when I was crying, he had smacked me and called me a crybaby. I ran out of the house. I went to my home and I said that he had hit me and called me a crybaby. I didn't say what else had happened. And then my mom went over to the house and his wife said, he's just very stressed when he gets home. So maybe it's better that Felicia doesn't come over when he's home. That's awful. Do you let your kids sleep out? Yes. Now that they're older, they know what happened to me and, and we've talked. And so I do now. Do you rem- talk to your kids about sex? I make sure that they can speak clearly about their bodies. I also would teach them, you can kick, scream, bite, fight, fight, fight. They know that. You never keep secrets because when you start to make exceptions, perpetrators are very savvy with figuring out ways to keep the child quiet. So no exceptions, no secrets. And if someone tells you not to tell me something, you tell me. It seems so simple, but that's a really good rule. When I launched the podcast, I was nervous. Yeah. My husband didn't want me to tell my mom because he thought I might monitor myself. He thought I might not be fully open and true because I would be worried about what I was saying. My whole life, I was protecting my mom. I need to do what's right for me and for my healing and for my family. This is the most amazing time of my life. I love this work. I love the podcast. I love my husband. I love my children. I'm so incredibly happy. I knew I wanted to use my story to help others. It was a huge impact on me when I was a teenager and I had read the book Girl Interrupted because it was the first time that I heard a story of someone who felt how I felt. I don't know who this person is, but she feels it too. And I didn't feel so alone because the whole purpose is that not enough people talk openly about it. So people hold these stories in and it causes them shame and it causes them pain. And we can release this stories and we can heal and we can heal together. I felt more empowered from hearing someone else's story. If I could inspire people to love themselves and connect with themselves and inspire others from all aspects, I want to honor all of those stories and I want to be there for all of those people. I feel like you've healed me from this phone call and I haven't even been through what you've been through. It's starting to naturally organically blossom a little bit and bringing in these different stories, but they all align. They all help. 
so beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on. I truly love your story and I feel so much closer to you now. Let people know how they can find you, find your podcast, connect with you. Thank you for having me. You have the most amazing energy. I think I told you this from day one. People want to find me. Yes, they can go to herepodcast.com and that's here, H-E-R-E. And I'm also on Instagram at herepodcast or Mrs. Period Felicia Connor. Let's hear from my daddy. I think from my experience and from talking to other people, especially young women that are abused, they have a lot of issues with sex because somebody has forced themselves on them, maybe hurt them, not only physically, but it has a big mental scar. And this young lady wanted to feel the pleasures of sex and she married somebody. She had to perform in harmony with her husband. She had some physical blockage, some mental blockage. She had to face the reality of of the issues with her stepfather, the issues with her father, the issues with her mother, the issues with her own mental capacity to have sexual relations. She wanted to be able to find pleasure in it also. It takes a lot of time to adjust. It's certainly a tough task when a person has been abused or attacked. It's a very, very terrible thing. I know people where this has happened to them before, and it's a very tough path to get out of the way of this and to find a way out of the maze and some never get over it. So to find a way out, I think is quite admirable. She also has a yearning to now help others because there's a lot of people trapped inside themselves after being abused. If you see something, say something. If you're afraid, call. You are not alone. Adults, it's time to rise up. One in every nine girls are victims of sexual abuse. One in 53 boys are victims of sexual abuse. We have to break the cycle. I want to tell you about UMAP, a program that shows people who they are and how they'll be most successful. Not only did it win the 2020 Career Innovators Award from Career Directors International, but 100% of UMAP certified coaches recommend the program. Let's hear from this week's coach, Nelly Felipe. This is about not just personality, because personality can change, but this is your motivation, your skills, it, it's your values. It takes everything, the whole person, and shows you a map of you. It's incredible. Imagine if you had that for every client, how much more powerful the coaching will be. I fully endorse this tool and certification program, so check out myumap.com. That's M-Y-Y-O-U-M-A-P dot com. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show.